Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins? And welcome in to the Tuesday, September the 11th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we dive into the data from Sunday's win. Are you guys recovered yet? Because I'm still fired up even after that long marathon. We'll ease you in with the individual metrics, snap counts, team ranks, player and coach pressers, and everything to bridge the gap from now until the All-22 comes out tomorrow as I record this podcast on a Monday. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast. Leave us that rating. Leave us that review. Give me a follow on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins and check out LockedOnDolphins.com. Our guys are cranking out material every single day and you will not find more or better comprehensive coverage of this team on the internet than you will find at LockedOnDolphins.com. And of course, last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and the Locked On NFL podcast that has a brand new lineup that is absolutely full of home run hitters. So check that out with Matt Williamson, Locked On NFL. Let's go ahead and get into the news for today's podcast. All right, Miami! And some ho-hum news as we go along. The roster continues to move and shake as Travis Swanson is back once again. The team re-signed the former Jets and Lions center and cut tight end Gavin Escobar. And this might seem like lower-level roster nonsense that really we only got upset about because... Let's face it, it was the only thing going on in the NFL a week and a half ago, and now here we are after Sunday's game. Do you guys even recall seeing Gavin Escobar around the field? He was inactive. Do you remember talking about the backup quarterbacks? How much does that actually enter your mind on game day? It shouldn't, and it doesn't, because those guys don't typically have a big impact on the game. So it's nice to get past that, but here we are talking once again about overturning the bottom part of the roster. And one of the things that I appreciate about what they're doing here is, you'll recall back to when the Seahawks were taken over by Pete Carroll and John Schneider back in 2010, and they led the NFL in transactions by a mile. It was something like 170 transactions compared to like 60 for the next highest team. And that's what the Dolphins are doing here. They're constantly trying to find players that fit their scheme, players that fit their culture, and just get the right 53 guys in here to continue to build this roster into something that can compete long-term with the Patriots and the heavyweights. We aren't quite there yet, but they're getting closer. And this move to me is interesting because... Now they go down to three tight ends. They have nine offensive linemen and four quarterbacks. I can't imagine that doesn't change before the week ends here. But three tight ends to me signals they're going to run a lot more 21 personnel with Frank Gore and Kenyon Drake as the running backs in the backfield and even more 10 personnel, which is one running back, zero tight ends and four wide receivers. I have a feeling they're going to start minimizing the tight end role in this offense a little bit. And maybe Mike Gusecki's bad opening day or the fact that A.J. Derby, who I thought had a pretty good day from a blocking standpoint, and Durham Smythe is coming along slowly. Maybe they try to ease those guys back because, let's face it, even though we got excited about the two rookies, it still is the weakest position group on this offense. And Gasicki, and we'll talk about this later in the podcast, Smythe, they got some good rep counts in this game, but I just think they want to focus more on the receivers and running backs, and that's why you have Gavin Escobar getting cut out of this game. But that's it for the news. Let's go ahead and crank things up and start this podcast off. That's another Miami Dolphins. 
And real quick, just before we get into the data of things, they tell you as a podcast host or a radio host, a TV show host, to play the hits. Don't bury the lead. However you want to phrase that, I suppose it's the 101 part of podcasting or broadcasting, whatever you call it. And I think there are three subjects we have to dissect today. Let's go ahead and start with the one that is most fun for fans to hear, talking about Peter King's column on Pro Football Talk. And Peter King had a chance to talk to Ryan Tannehill about the lengthy seven-hour contest we saw on Sunday. And he talked to Tannehill about getting back onto the field and how he was impressive in that first game back since the injury back in 2016 slash 2017. But Tannehill did mention that, quote, it was an up and down and a few few throws I'd really like to have back. I think we all know what he's talking about, the two interceptions there. But in that spirit, and this is quoting Peter King directly, in that spirit, I liked what Tannehill told me about Miami's day off. Coaches often give players, quote unquote, victory Monday, an extra day in addition to Tuesday when the team either is tired or had a big win. Gaze gave the team off on the day off on Monday, but Tannehill went around to his offensive mates and said he thought they should come in and dissect the tape and then take the extra day and a half off for rest. I went around and told everyone, Tannehill said, we've got to get better. We should take our time and our position groups to watch this game. And I was glad to see that everybody wanted to do it, especially after a seven hour game. So the team is on all in lockstep. They're all in on trying to improve and get better and improve what was a good offensive performance, but could have been much, much better. A great one if they would have executed a few more plays. So Tannehill rallying the troops together saying this shit ain't good enough. This stuff's not going to fly anymore. We might have had a good day scoring the ball, but we can do even better. And that's just great to hear from your quarterback, from the leader of your team. And the second item on the agenda, and I didn't talk about on yesterday's podcast because I had so many takeaways to get to, but the Andre Branch body bag quote from Taylor Lewan knocking him out on that play. I've been asked about it a lot on Twitter. And by the letter of the law, that was an illegal hit because on a peelback block, a crackback block, the letter of the law is if you're coming back towards your own end zone, you cannot blindside a player. And that's exactly what Andre Branch did. Now, I will give him the benefit of the doubt in terms of what Taylor Lewan was probably saying to him or how he was treating him in that game. Lewan's one of the dirtiest, nastiest players in the league. He has had that reputation since back to his days at Michigan, and he probably deserved what he got. Nonetheless, you can't do that. It's illegal. They're trying to clean the game up and get that stuff out of the game. So Andre Branch, and I don't know if he should have been ejected, but he definitely will get a fine or should get a fine and definitely should have been penalized. And it's crazy to me that he was not. And of course, calling for the body bag when Lawan left the field. That's not a good look. Does not reflect well upon the Dolphins. So Andre Branch, I, I appreciate what you did because you were trying to help the team and Lawan is a bit of an asshole, but you can't do that stuff. And item number three is another... I guess, idea of calling into question the Dolphins' integrity and what they are as a team. Titans fans and Titans in general are upset that Will Hayes hit Marcus Mariota after a handoff on a zone read play, and that was not an RPO, it was a zone read play. And what you do as a quarterback when you make that action to hand the ball off to the running back like that and keep it on your own chest is you eliminate your protection as a quarterback and you become a running back because if William Hayes does not hit you, you're going to keep that ball the next time. You're going to sneak out the back end and you're going to have a free run because people have to pay attention to being safe and not hitting you in in an incorrect way. So quit whining about that. Quit bitching. That's exactly how you defend the zone read. And that's exactly why a lot of teams don't do that. Just try to be better from the pocket and play more traditional quarterback if you don't want your quarterback to get hit. So those are the three big notes. We're going to get to snap counts, PFF grades, all the data from Sunday's 27-20 win at the hands of the Tennessee Titans. But first, a word from my bookie. And after a rough day in the college ranks, I did go 10-3 on my NFL picks, but I didn't put my money where my mouth is, and that's why I should have done that. 
with my personal most trusted bookie on the web, mybookie.ag. They've been in business for years, have great reviews online, and their mobile site is very easy to use. Lay down some cash and win big today. They have in-game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business. And for you fantasy guys out there, you can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each and every game. Join now and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar when you enter promo code Locked On. Once again, that's promo code Locked On to activate your offer. Visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. And don't forget to use promo code Locked On when creating your account to claim that bonus. MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. Rolling into a second segment of this Tuesday, September 11th podcast, the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I want to get into the snap counts and all the good information from the game that you may have missed, according to Pro Football Reference, Pro Football Focus, all of the great resources we have in this day and age talking about the Miami Dolphins and the NFL in general. And up first, the snap counts, the most interesting ones of the day. First off, the offensive line played every snap. All five guys were out there for all 62 snaps. If you're wondering how the running back rotation was going to go, and what I told you all offseason long, Kenyon Drake, 46 snaps, Frank Gore, 18. That's a 74 to 29% split. Obviously overlapping over 100% there because they shared the backfield on a couple of plays. Kenny Stills was 59 snaps. That's 95%. Danny Amendola was 72%. Albert Wilson, 54%. Jakeem Grant, 40%. So just like we expected, a trickle-down effect from Stills to Amendola to Wilson to Grant. And A.J. Derby's 46 reps were 74% of the total offensive snaps. Mike Kosicki, 21, which is 33%. And Durham Smythe got 15 snaps one quarter of the Dolphins' offensive snaps. And let's go ahead and talk about what these guys did as a team, or individually, I should say, on the offensive side of the football. They currently rank 17th in the league in passing, 11th in rushing. Their 342 total yards is 16th best in the NFL, and their 27 points is 7th best in the NFL. Third downs were the big issue on the day yet again, and I talked about it on Twitter. I've talked about it a million times on the podcast, on the site, wherever you might find my work. That one issue this team is going to have is the ability to create separation or beat bracket coverage when there's a third and long play and you have to have your superstar guy go make a play the way an Antonio Brown will do. And the Dolphins just don't have that guy. Miami converted just two out of 10. That's 20%. 25th best in the NFL on third down. So that number has to get better, especially if they're going to be this offense that kind of dinks and dunks and then waits for the chance to get down the field vertically. And one way you can get down the field vertically is playing really well on the offensive line. And this group as a whole allowed just three pressures on Ryan Tannehill, one sack and a couple of hurries. He only got hit one additional time. So they kept the quarterback clean, exactly what they have to do. Jawan James was the eighth best pass blocking tackle in the NFL on Sunday. Josh Sitton had a bad pass blocking grade somehow, but he had the 14th highest run blocking grade of all NFL offensive guards. And speaking of those three pressures, Ryan Tannehill, although it was a very small sample size, had the second highest passer rating on Sunday when dealing with pressure at 129.2. Tannehill's 71.7 PFF grade was 11th best among starting quarterbacks. Kenny Stills was eighth best in the NFL in yards per route run, and Jakeem Grant was ninth right behind him. They were at 3.42 and 3.17 respectively. Very good days from those two guys. Frank Gore received the sixth highest grade 
grade among running, among running backs in the NFL, and Kenyon Drake was 13th highest. Flip it over to the defensive side of the ball now, and the defense allowed just 20 points, obviously the one kick return, but they were 15th in total yardage allowed and ninth fewest in points, so the defense definitely shined on the day. Key snap counts, Robert Quinn got 41 snaps, that was 60%, Cam Wake, 38 55%. William Hayes, 32 snaps. Andre Branch, 29 snaps. And Charles Harris, 23 snaps. Good for 33%. So you can see the pecking order there. Charles Harris now has fallen behind Andre Branch. I don't know if that's more of an indictment of Harris or an endorsement of Branch, but nonetheless, it's definitely noteworthy. Defensive tackles. This is an area I have contended for pretty much all of August and continued into this game. Vincent Taylor got the fewest snaps of the 4D tackles. He got 18, just 26% of the total snaps. Yet Akeem Spence played double that, 36 snaps for 52%. Devon Godshaw had 21, Jordan Phillips had thir- or 29, excuse me, and Jordan Phillips had 31, so a pretty good timeshare there at defensive tackle. Kiko Alonso played every snap. Raekwon played 61 out of 69 snaps on the defense. Jerome Baker got 30 snaps, right around half of them. McCain had Howard and McDonald all saw every snap on defense, all 100%. And Mika Fitzpatrick only got 44, just 63.8% of the snaps. That number has to go up to 100% if you ask me. And Rashad Jones missed six snaps. I don't recall that happening. I don't know if he was injured or what it was, but I don't know why he would come off the field. And as far as defensive numbers go, these guys were very impressive. Now the pass rush, it struggled. We knew that. All five of the Dolphins' main pass rushers had terrible pass rush productivity on the day. And what that means is they take hits, hurries, and sacks, and they weight it with more, obviously more emphasis on sacks, and then down down to hits, and down to hurries. But uh, Cam Wake, Robert Quinn, William Hayes, and Andre Branch were all under 3% on their PRP. And just for comparison's sake, 6.1% was 50th best in the league. So they were halfway to 50th best in the league. Charles Harris actually had the highest number at 3.1%. So very, very paltry pass rush. They have to get better at that. As far as linebacker play goes, Raekwon McMillan had two run stuffs that tied him for 10th best among all linebackers. And Jerome Baker was the best coverage linebacker on the day. He allowed a catch per 12 coverage snaps. That was 22nd best in the NFL among linebackers. And check out these secondary numbers. Just completely dominant on the back end. We know about Rashad Jones with three picks and what that meant. But Xavier Howard and Bobby McCain allowed just two catches, one apiece, on 10 total targets. Xavier Howard's passer rating allowed was 53.5. McCain's was 39.6. And Mika Fitzpatrick allowed just two catches on four targets. They went for two total yards. He was fantastic in this game. And the one negative note, I don't really have a lot of negative individual critiques And PFF agree with me. These guys all played pretty damn well in this game. And this game should have been a blowout based on the individual performances. But the one bad note was TJ McDonald. He got exposed. A 116.7 passer rating allowed. That was just not good enough. He was out of space. He missed a couple of tackles. Just did not play very well. And I think we'll see a shift towards more Minka and less McDonald going forward. At least I really hope we do. And speaking of going forward, we have one last segment on the podcast here. I did forget to ask the question for the free t-shirts at the MetLife Takeover. I will get you guys the first question out of four. We'll do that next on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Lockdown Fins. If you guys enjoyed that last little segment talking about those in-depth data, I will do that every Tuesday on the podcast as well as have a post up for you guys on Monday afternoons. That piece is live right now, the aftermath 
is what the title of that column will be. A weekly column from yours truly, getting you all the data and snap counts from the Dolphins games. And while you're there, check out the other pieces from our newest writer, Gabe Harai, as well as Jason Harina. You guys know his work by now. We have fantastic content on the site every single day. And speaking of daily coverage on this team, one of the things I like to look at is the press conferences. And while I don't think there was a whole lot to chew on this round from Adam Gaze, Ryan Tannehill, and the like, I think there was one common thing you can pick up on when these guys speak at the podium or at the media. And it's just this overall confidence and overall underlying theme that they are going to be a good team this year. And they talk with that confidence and that bravado, but also the introspective nature to realize they weren't perfect and they have plenty of stuff that they can clean up, especially on the special team side of things. I thought that that was pretty clear from the way they spoke and from the way the team played on Sunday. Bobby McCain missed a tackle on that kickoff return touchdown and Tanner McAvoy, who was supposed to be the special team's ace, completely missed his lane and got taken out of the play and that was just not good enough. I am sure Darren Rizzi is irate as we go on this week throughout the course of practice. I expect that to get cleaned up immediately. You guys will recall that was my number one or one of my top three takeaways or keys to the game was special teams had to be good in this game. They weren't and they still won, so I guess that's good, but I expect them to really focus on that this week going ahead. As Adam Gaze and Ryan Tannehill both mentioned things this team could work on, getting better at passing the ball in third down situations, creating better opportunities, and staying away from those first down or early possession penalties that cost the Dolphins early in this game to continue some drives and make some big plays. Obviously, I talked about on the podcast yesterday how Frank Gore's run for 20-something yards on first and 20 was one of the key plays, uh, momentum-changing plays in the game, and they got out of that hole, but just... The idea of falling behind the chains is not going to be good for this offense and the way they operate. So clean that up, clean the couple of bad throws Tannehill missed, and clean up a couple of key run fits, a couple of drop passes. There is plenty to work on, but the good news is it's all correctable. I thought we saw a very complete, good football team on Sunday, and I think that if they continue to progress and build off of that, we're going to see this team win a lot of games this year, and I fully expect them to get to 3-0 and go into Foxborough undefeated for a huge, huge matchup with the New England Patriots. But that is a little bit ahead of us here. We have the Jets coming up next week. We're going to have a crossover podcast on tomorrow's podcast, possibly Thursdays. I'm not quite sure yet. I will talk to the Locked On Jets host, just like I did last week with the Locked On Titans host. And not to pour gas on the fire, but I thought it was pretty funny if you guys heard his version of the podcast when he interviewed me and he said I was way too optimistic and no one's really that scared of Kenyon Drake or Kenny Stills and what happens, Kenny Stills roasts them. So that was pretty cool to see that. And I think everyone's going to continue to sleep on this team, but let them, that's fine. I've seen plenty of bad comments on Twitter talking about how Tannehill was awful in this game. I'm just very over dealing with that or or responding to any of that stuff. It's not hard to see. If, if people want to make those stories up or claim that, let them. I'm not going to argue back to it, refute it. They're wrong. It's just That's all there is to it. No need to get into it any further. But getting back on track here and speaking of that Jets game next Sunday, the Jets play tonight. We'll have that crossover podcast for you later on in the week, but I'll be keeping an eye on a couple of things in this game, mainly the Jets defense and how they rotate post-snap and how they create pressure and the problems they're going to want to give Ryan Tannehill. Keep an eye on Jamal Adams and how he moves around to the football. Leonard Williams, how are we going to block that guy? And obviously Sam Darnold, how does he play in his debut on Monday night? Like I mentioned, this podcast is getting recorded right around 3 o'clock out here on the West Coast, so I haven't actually had a chance to watch that game yet, but I'll watch them as well as the Raiders our next two opponents playing in primetime on ESPN on Monday night. Can't wait to check that out. And somebody asked me on Twitter when I was going to ask the questions for the free t-shirts at the MetLife Takeover 
meet up with the Miami Dolphins fans there. And I forgot all about it on yesterday's podcast. So you guys get a free pass. I'm going to ask just four questions now. And the first one coming at you right now is going to be the easiest one of the week. So just be prepared for that. The question is, who scored the game-winning touchdown in the Dolphins' last playoff victory in the year 2000 over the Indianapolis Colts? As I'm sure you guys will do, you can research that on Google and find out. But all you have to do is collect all four answers. Give them to Jason Harina at the MetLife tailgate takeover on Sunday against the Jets. And he'll get your information. He'll relay it back to me. And I'll send you guys a free t-shirt if you do that. We really appreciate your support for the podcast. Want to give back to you guys a little bit with the free t-shirt. So who scored the game-winning touchdown against the Colts in that 2000 playoff game? Like I said, if you're a Dolphins fan, you better know that one. The easiest question of the week. But as for me on this Tuesday podcast, that is my time, guys. I appreciate the downloads and the listens and the website clicks. Everything you guys do goes so far for me, and I cannot be more appreciative of that. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter, at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your Monday. Enjoy the games. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.